tale of two games for the Pacers this weekend. They set the franchise record for assists and score 150 in one, and then have their lowest scoring output of the season in the other. What changed from Hawks to Celtics? What can they expect tonight against Boston? A James Johnson contract guaranteed for the rest of the season. We'll talk about it all today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey y'all, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, man, we have a lot to talk about. Quite the weekend for the Pacers in news, in activity, in scoring in one game and not scoring in another. We're going to talk about it all. First... They set a franchise record, 50 assists in one game. Are you kidding? Against the Hawks. They score 150 again against Atlanta. And then they score a season-low 101 against the Celtics. Two interesting games to talk about there. Plus, James Johnson sticking around. His contract is now fully guaranteed for the remainder of the season. What does that mean for the Pacers and their roster construction for the rest of the season? We'll talk about all that. If those of you watching on YouTube, you can see I'm in a blazer and dressed in a lice because I just got back from George McGinnis's celebration of life in Cambridge Fieldhouse. For those who knew him, uh, all have gushed about him as a human and person, and uh, I couldn't help but think about sitting in Cambridge. Like, are the Pacers in Indy? Am I in Indy? Are you listening to this podcast without George McGinnis? And a couple of people actually echoed that during the celebration of life. He was a great person, and... A fantastic band, and for those who knew him and loved him, I hope you're doing well and enjoyed that moment. It's never easy to segue out of those things, um, but fittingly, he was on the ABA Pacers that were so fantastic for so long, and he wasn't on the team anymore when the Pacers were an assist machine in the 1970-71 season, but that is the season where the Pacers previously had their only two games in franchise history over 45 assists. That was their NBA franchise record was 45 in the 1980s. In the 1970s, they had 46 and 48. And on uh, Friday night, they smashed those records. They smashed the NBA record and the ABA record for the Pacers. 50 assists against the Hawks. Unbelievable number. I didn't even realize it. So the thing about this game that was so fascinating was it started off even-ish. Like the Hawks were up 6-0 in, in a snap. And it was, you know... Close competitive game, right? These two teams played a five-point game, you know, a month and a half ago. And so halfway through the first quarter, it was like a five-point game. And then the Pacers just completely dominated the remaining 40-42, however many minutes of the action. And the Hawks just looked miserable on defense. I mean, they did they did nothing well on that end of the floor. And they, they are a terrible team defending cuts in general. They have a lot of very ball-focused, for lack of a better term, defenders. Um, Not very good team defenders who can look around and make it happen. Like, you can just look easily and see they only had six steals, for example. And steals aren't all team defense stuff, but that's one easy number to look at. And the Pacers just tore them apart. Absolutely tore them apart. It's a funny game because, you know, if you're the Hawks, you can just shrug and go, well, they shot 64% and shot 49% from three. There's nothing we could do. Those numbers are so high that we just couldn't have won. But the reason the Pacers shot that well is they got whatever they wanted. (laughs) Every single trip down the floor, they they could fling it to the open man. They could cut to the rim and have an easy shot. Like, it was laughable, laughable how easy it was 
for the Pacers to score in this game. They tied the turnover battle, and they weren't that dominant. In fact, the rebounding battle was a tie. The Hawks shot 17 more free throws, right? So you look at all these stats, and you're like, man, this game should be, the Hawks should be right in this. And the Hawks had no chance in this game. It wasn't even close. The Pacers were moving around on the perimeter. All of their, literally all of their mid-range shots, not all, but like a very large percentage of them went in. They were money around the basket. It was as good of an offensive performance as you'll see from the Pacers who just got whatever shot they wanted. A lot of those mid-rangers, for example, were Miles Turner because the Hawks early in the game blitzed very aggressively Tyrese Halberton. And so Halberton would get it out to Miles Turner and Turner would make a play in the mid-range and he was fantastic in this game. 27 points in 22 minutes for Miles Turner Friday night. But that's the kind of stuff it takes to set an assist record. 50 in one game. Are you kidding? That's an unbelievable number. It was absolutely ridiculous to see it in person. And it felt like, I would say, midway through the second quarter, and maybe even a little earlier than that, that this game was going to be a Pacers win. They were up about 20 points. I think they got it to 20 midway through the quarter at the time. And the Hawks just looked hopeless. This was on a day there was a lot of reports about the Hawks' direction and roster stuff. But they just... They were an awful defensive team. They had no chance. All their starters plus minuses were in the negative 20s. Even their two bench guys who played the most were near that. So credit the Pacers for tearing them up. Numbers-wise, 18 assists for Halliburton with only two assists. And he had 18 assists in 25 minutes. That's unreal. Like, it's hard to put into numbers how crazy that is. Like, if you go look at his games from last week where he – tied the Pacers franchise assist record or had 20 and 20 against the Bulls. He played at 35, 36 minutes, really, in the 23 assist game. And he played over 37 minutes in the 20 assist game in Chicago. And he had back pain that night. Like, on a per-minute basis, to get 18 and 25 minutes is better than both of those nights. But they didn't need him at all. (laughs) They took him out in the third quarter, and he was done for the rest of the game because they were up by so much. Their lead sniffed 40 in the mid-third. So just a ridiculous performance from Halbert. As usual, 18 assists from him. TJ McConnell had the bench humming. He had 10 assists with the second unit. A double-double for TJ McConnell in 23 minutes. <laughs> also ridiculous. He was 5 of 6 from the field. Here's the thing about a high assist game, right? Tyrese Halberton said this when he tied the franchise record. The pass has to be good, but you have to make the shot. The shot has to go in, right, for an assist to happen. Like when he set the or tied, I think, the Iowa State assist record they were making crazy amount of shots and so like yeah the Pacers shot it really well like I said but they were creating good shots but everybody who played shot it well right no one had an off night from the field in the rotation the worst shooting guy was Buddy Heald at four for nine but he took eight threes and he made three of them like that's still a really efficient night for any player so everybody who was in there moved it well and scored it well. So it's pretty crazy that over half their assists were from McConnell Halberton. And then their next highest assist guy in a 50 assist game, only at four. That was Ben Matherin, who, who had four. Uh, and then you saw three from Neesmith, three from Turner, who was making short roll good decisions, and then two from a bunch of guys. But all together, with how many guys that played, even in the fourth quarter, they got a full quarter at Vergeris Walker. They got significant minutes for Ben Shepard, Jordan Ward. James Johnson put over eight minutes. He dunked in this game. James Johnson had three steals and a dunk. That says a lot about how bad the Hawks' defense was. But even James Johnson got an assist, right? Everybody who played except for Isaiah Jackson, who only played seven minutes, he had a finger thing, had an assist. They were moving it perfectly. And you hear this phrase a lot in sports. Oh, the ball movement was contagious, right? And I, I get what that means. You know, they're just saying, like, yeah, we were moving it well. We were reading what the defense was doing, or we made the extra pass, whatever. 
But in this game in particular, to me, Tyrese Halliburton made this the case. Tyrese Halliburton took six shots in a basketball game. That was his lowest field goal attempts of the season. Now, some of that is he didn't play that much. But, like, for example, you can sort his season by minutes. That was his lowest minutes in a game at 25. His second lowest was against Orlando in that game. The Pacers were down 50 at one point. He played four more seconds in that game than he did against the Hawks. But he took 14 shots that night, for example. In all the games that he played under 30 minutes, which only happened six times, he took 14, 17, 19, 16, 14 shots, right? Like, him shooting few times is rare. In fact, his lowest prior to Friday was 12 shots in a game. He took six. Six. It was completely insane how little he had to be the offensive force that he is to have a ridiculous night. And so I say all that to say, if your leader is doing something, the rest of the team is going to follow suit. And that's where I think the contagious part comes in. I talk about this with Giannis in defense a lot. If he's busting his butt on defense, in the past, that means the rest of the Bucks are. That hasn't happened this season. But in the past, it has. If your leader, Tyrese Halberton, who can score, he's the most efficient self-creator on the team. If he's moving it and getting it out, and even if he's open, making an extra pass, everyone else is going to, right? So credit to Tyrese Halliburton for doing that. Credit to the Pacers for doing that. I, I could go into a lot of stuff about this game. Uh, the Pacers defended Trey Young very well. Bruce Brown was awesome guarding him and was 8-for-9 from the field in this game. Miles Turner was a brilliant, like I said earlier. Jalen Smith and Aaron Smith were fantastic. Uh, nice bounce-back game from Jalen Smith, right? Everyone on the bench played pretty well. Jarris Walker made two threes. Like A lot of little things happened. That would merit discussion if I was doing a full gamer on this episode. But a franchise record trumps it all, and it showed that their best Pacers offense is still ridiculous. Their assist numbers are ridiculous. They are they were before this game and still are the only team in the league averaging over 30 assists per game. Uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal outing, record-setting night. I mean, that one might take a while. The last time they had 45, 45 assists in the NBA was in the 1980s. To get 50 is unreal. And yes, Tyrese Halliburton means that's always possible, but shooting that well in tandem with all that, everybody down to the end of the bench, it's rare. 150 is rare. And this time they score 50 on the Hawks. They don't give up 150 on the other end. 116 for Atlanta in a game that they did not shoot particularly well, but they lived at the foul line. That'll work for the Pacers. That was their sixth win in a row. But that is over now. They played a back-to-back. They played Saturday night as well, hosting the Celtics, the anti-Hawks, effectively, right now. That game did not go as well. In fact, the opposite for the Pacers, only scoring 101, their lowest of the season. Why can they remedy that again? Because they played tonight. And what else do you need to know from Pacers-Celtics? We'll talk about all that in just a moment. But first, I have to talk to you guys about the lovely people over at Game Time. It makes buying tickets to whatever big event you're going to as easy as possible. And it's fast. And whatever the event is, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be music, comedy, theater, whatever. Game Time's the best. They've got killer last-minute deals, all in prices, view from receipt, best price guarantee, no more guesswork, right? That's the best way to put it. I used Game Time in New York, as many of you know, to get tickets to a New York Liberty game. Uh, I could see you right on there. Well, our view is going to be from our seats, spot on. Um, the price I saw on there, this bot drives me crazy about other ticketing places that I want in, uh, that the price you see, you go to check out and there's like $40 of hidden fee sometimes on game time. None of that. The price you see is the price you pay. Uh, I got the tickets the day of the game, which was convenient. And game time has the game time guarantee, meaning you'll always get the best price. Because if you find tickets in the same section row for less, game time's going to credit you 110% of that difference. A fantastic way to buy tickets without guessing. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKDOWN for $20 off 
your first purchase. Terms apply, but again, create an account and redeem the code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for $20 off at game time. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Listen to Brad Rowland on Lockdown Hawks. He was on this show earlier in the season, around the in-season tournament. Uh, and the Hawks are much worse than they were then. Brad Rowland will have the latest on the Hawks. And now we got a hard pivot and talk about the Celtics, who the Pacers played the following night on a back-to-back. Doesn't excuse their play because the Celtics were also on a back-to-back and traveling and looked great. Now, the short summary of this game is Celtics are Celtics <laughs> this season, right? The, the Celtics smoked Tyrus Halberton didn't play, but the Celtics smoked the Pacers this season, being anybody by 50 quality be danged is nuts in the NBA. The Pistons don't lose by 50. Like the Pacers got flat out embarrassed that night, right? As it stands right now, the Celtics have 28 wins. No one else has more than 25. They only have seven losses. Them and the Timberwolves are the only team with less than 10. The Celtics offensive rating is second to only the Pacers at 120.6. They're one of three teams above 120 on offense. And their defensive rating is second only to Minnesota. Uh, They're one of only two teams below a 110 defensive rating. You can hear all those numbers and get a pretty clear picture of how freaking good the Boston Celtics are this season and partially why it was so impressive the Pacers beat them in the in-season tournament quarterfinals. Boston's net rating of plus 10.8, 2.3 points better than the second-place Sixers. 2.3 points is a ton. For example, the the team within 2.3 points of the Pacers is the Raptors, right? For example, uh, looking at net ratings. 2.3-point difference is the difference between uh, the Pistons and the Trailblazers. Uh, I don't need to keep going on this. You get the idea of how large the gap is between the Celtics and the next best team, and they showed exactly why in Indy on Saturday. On offense, their two stars were awesome. Jason Tatum had an unreal game. Uh, he was unstoppable, and he he's going to be, right? The Pacers already don't have guys for wings, and he's a very good player. This is not a critique of the Pacers' inability to stop him. They can't stop anybody, but they struggle against wings, and they struggled against him. He had 38 points on 23 shots. He was drawing tough shots all night, including threes. 14 rebounds and six assists, though, is what separated this Tatum game from like a normal really good Tatum game to like an OMG, this is ridiculous Tatum game. Derek White was clamping up Halberton all night. He was plus 20. He he was in foul trouble, but he was plus 20. He was awesome. Jalen Brown, who can kind of be a roller coaster, but is very good, had 31 points on 20 shots. So that means the two stars on offense for the Celtics had 69 points. And then Drew Holiday lets them do this thing. Kalen Cooper documented this well. All game, I noticed the Celtics were in a zone. And in the first half, it gave the Pacers a lot of trouble. And in the second half, it gave the Pacers less trouble, but it was still a ridiculously good zone. Drew Holiday's like on the bottom of it, playing center and, you know, being everywhere. And I didn't even notice this part, but apparently it like switches in demand depending on where the ball is. Their defense is ridiculous for a reason. Drew Holiday was pretty good. He didn't shoot the ball very well, but they did well in his minutes. And they won Porzingis' limited minutes. He got poked in the eye by Neesmith early in the game. You can go on and on. Um, but the separator from some Pacers games where they can beat these really good teams is their bench can be better than the Celtics bench to me, but it wasn't in this game. Al Horford was very good. Sam Hauser was fine enough defensively. Peyton Pritchard was good. And O'Shea Brissett, the ex-Pacer, eight rebounds. Huge game for O'Shea Brissett. And so if you're the Pacers who, look, you're going to struggle against the Celtics defense because everybody struggles against the Celtics defense. You have to find some way to succeed against this team. And so they did a lot of things decently well to me in this game, right? 
they barely turned it over, right? Eight turnovers for the Pacers. They kept up on the offensive glass, so they were in it in the possession game. That's going to be important against a team that is going to out-efficient you on basically every possession, right? That made a lot of sense. They did not shoot it well enough for that to matter, though, right? They kept, They took two more shots, and they took more free throws. So the Pacers did a lot of stuff that should work for at least doing your best to keep up. But the best offense in the NBA, the Indiana Pacers offense, scored 101 points in this game. And they didn't actually feel that bad about it, which I think is is telling and the correct way to feel. And I will tell you why in just a second. But that is credit to the Celtics that they also didn't, like, they probably didn't feel the greatest. You know, Tatum was really efficient, but no one else shot it awesome for them. They were terrible from the foul line. But they probably feel like they didn't play that well, and they won by 17. If you're the Pacers, here's why I think you feel pretty good. Two of their worst three-point shooting games this season have been against Boston, right? In fact, they've been under 20% three times this year, twice against Boston. They were 8 of 42 from three in this game. And in the first half, it felt like they took some that was like, eh, that's not the greatest attempt. In the second half, I think I don't think they took a single three that I didn't like, or at least was from a shooter you don't want to shoot if you're the Pacers. They didn't make them, right? They went 8 of 42, like I just said, from three. If you look at their three games against Boston this season, they went 5 of 37, they got smoked. They went 8 of 42, they got smoked. They went 19 of 40, and they won. And so their quality was, they were happy with it. They just didn't make them. Halliburton was 2 for 9. Heald was 3 for 10. Turner and Neesmith were combined 0 for 12. Right, The only pacer who made a 3 and shot 50% or better was Obi Toppin, who had a nice game. Uh, but they didn't shoot it well. They liked the shots they got from 3. They just didn't make them. Right, Inside the arc wasn't much better. The zone was good. They cut off Turner in significant ways. Halliburton was 5 for 17. And even if you take out his 3s, he was 3 for 8 on 2s. Turner was 5 for 6 on 2s. But every basically everybody else struggled a little bit inside the arc also below what you'd expect if you're the Pacers so all this together man the Celtics defense was so good that even on they didn't go crazy on offense 118 is if you're the Pacers you're like yeah we can we can win if the other scores 118 they had no chance they had they did have a chance that's extreme they actually had a possession with the ball down three I think in the early fourth quarter with a chance to tie and Halliburton took a three and did not make it, right? So that, by definition, I guess, should be they had a chance. They had a literal, the ball, uh, it was late third. I am wrong about when it was in the game. Regardless of when it was, that's not really relevant to what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is they did have, I guess you could say they had a little bit of a chance in that way. Buddy Heald also had a three to tie uh, at the end of the third quarter. But they were unsuccessful on those trips down the floor. And the Celtics' strongest punches were better, right? This was a game of runs. And the Celtics were always able to respond at a key time. They literally led or retired the entire game. So credit to the Celtics. They're very good. What is the takeout from this game if you're the Pacers? Their defense is amazing, right? And so you can't shoot poorly if you're the Pacers, right? They're, you're, you're going to have trouble getting good shots. And you're not going to be able to stop all the many wings they have. So you have to shoot well. And I know it's lazy to say, wow, you have to make shots to win a game? Breaking news from Tony East. But I mean, you could look at the numbers very easily and say that because... Something else I, I was asking some guys about after the game is, especially with Bruce Brown and Andrew Nemhard out, which I don't know that that will be the case Monday. Uh, the back-to-back, I think, was a factor for Bruce Brown. But their cross matches were so tough for the Pacers, right? Let, think about the Brown, Tatum, Porzingis, White, Holiday starting five for Boston. Who do you put Jalen Smith on? What is the right answer to that question? You know, it, it, they tried a couple things. He was on Porzingis at times. He was on a perimeter player at times, but there's no good answer, right? 
And and if he's on Porzingis, who's Miles Turner on? And at the same time, who's Buddy Heald on in a game like this? When you don't have Nebhard Brown, that question has to be answered. He started instead of Mather. And Matherin was great off the bench, by the way. Uh, so it's it's a very tough matchup game, and that never ends because their bench guys, Brissett, Hauser, whoever, are also wings. And they're, even their guards are wing-sized. So the cross matches were tough. The stars were tough. The Celtics' usually awesome defense was usually fantastic. And all that together means the Pacers have to shoot better. And they 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 didn't – like they didn't. you don't feel great when you lose by 17, but they were happy enough with the shots they got. They just feel like they need to make them next time, and they'll have a better chance. So the six-game winning streak is over. Pacers-Celtics tonight, the keys to me, one, getting one more defender back. Uh, if Nemhard or Brown are available, that helps a lot, a lot with the matchups that they'll have, uh, especially with the starting five. And two, shoot better than 19% from three, even 30%, and they're in this game. They probably don't win, but they're in it. So we'll see what adjustments they can make. We'll see if they can get Halberton going offensively, 17-7 and seven for him, five steals. But uh, I think he would have liked, obviously, to be more effective. They'll have a chance again Monday. It's very hard to beat an NBA team twice in a row in the same city. It's very hard to beat an NBA team twice in a row during the regular season at all. But the Pacers just did it to the Bucs. It is possible. And the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. We will see more from them if you're listening on Monday tonight. Uh, so looking forward to that. We'll, of course, have coverage of that game here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. And we have more to talk about because there was a contractual deadline today. In fact, for me, it's right around now. Um, and James Johnson contract with the Pacers for the rest of the season is now fully guaranteed. What does that mean for the Pacers? What does that mean for their maneuverability in the next month? Because the trade deadline is like a month away now. We'll talk about all that to close out today's show. Before we do any of that, though, we're going to talk about the lovely people over at FanDuel. The NFL season done. Colts, oh, oh, they had it. 90% play to first down didn't work out. But there's still time. To hop in on the action with FanDuel. The playoffs are here. The NBA is rolling. The NHL is rolling. And America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel, is the place to go. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. How about that? At FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, you place that $5 money line bet. You get $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. What a deal. FanDuel is the best place to do it. Their app is super easy to use. They have so many ways to bet and have fun like their Explore tab. It's new, and you can find fun bets there. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find the popular ones going on there. You can do live same-game parlays, which can be a blast, and plenty more over on FanDuel. Check it out. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup on FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. You should check out Lockdown Celtics with John Corrales to hear about Saturday's game, to hear about Jason Tatum, to hear about O'Shea Brissett, and to hear more about tonight's game coming up between two teams that were and are very in form in the Eastern Conference contractual stuff. Last thing we'll have to do about this until you know the rumors come in or the Pacers make a trade. James Johnson, his contract was non-guaranteed prior to Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m., where he was not waived, which means his contract is now fully guaranteed for the rest of the season. I imagined last week that that was going to be the case, but not certain. Many things can happen or change. Taj Gibson got waived by the Knicks. That one surprised me. For example, Ish Wainwright got waived by the Blazers. That one surprised me. But James Johnson, contract now guaranteed uh, his cap hit for the rest of the season, now locked in at $1.4 million. 
So the, the, the thought was for the Pacers, they would have saved maybe $1.2 million against the cap and opened a roster spot. For them, until the trade deadline, and maybe even after the trade deadline, what's a better use of a roster spot than the vet <laughs> that they love and adore and has been huge for them? Like, no, there's no free agent that's going to play on their team. They already have a lot of depth. So uh, that's why I surmised when they bought out Daniel Tice that a vet made the most sense. Someone who knows their role is not to play and so for now, and we'll see what happens in a month when the trade deadline comes and goes, but that makes the most sense, right? And still does. And now the money savings is another discussion, but $1.2 in space, you know, less than the vet minimum, does that really do a ton for you in imbalanced trades? Maybe, maybe, but very little. It's very, there's very few trades that that insignificant of a financial difference can make a difference. They could have maybe done the 10-day dance, but not really worth it when you could just have James Johnson on your team. So that was what I predicted they would do, and that is what they did. James Johnson now with the Pacers on a guaranteed deal. And here's the thing that I that I, I need to get this message across, right? Obviously, if they waived him, they'd have an open roster spot right now, but they, they did this last year. They guaranteed his contract, and then they were making this trade with the Bucks. And the Pacers were taking in Jordan Wara, George Hill, and Serge Ibaka and sending out no player. Technically, they sent out Jay Crowder, but they didn't send out, air quotes, any players. So they had to waive three guys, right? So they waived Gogo Batadze, Terry Taylor, and James Johnson, who were all on guaranteed contracts. You can still do that, right? So people keep talking about, oh, they, this makes it easier to do it. Too. I said this, right? It makes it easier, air quotes, to do a two-for-one trade or a three-for-two trade or whatever. And that is true. If there is an open roster spot, it's easier, but it's still pretty easy to just waive a player and then do it, assuming you're willing to eat the money. And if you value the player that you're spending the money on, then you probably are willing to eat the money, right? So the flexibility loss is extremely small. In fact, the only people who lose flexibility is the you know, the Pacers for not the Pacers, like from a roster perspective, the Pacers from like paying him dollars that they instead would maybe have not had if they waived him. So no real loss, right? Unless there's a very specific trade that is now not possible. So all that to say, James Johnson now uh, guaranteed contract for the rest of the season. He could still be waived. It'd be very funny if they paid him four contracts over two seasons by waving him and bringing him back. If they cut all the cap holds, on their books right now, they would have 8.23 per my spreadsheet. Maybe it's a little off, but not by very much. A uh, million in cap space to make imbalanced trades. So, for example, they could trade Jordan Wara for an $11 million player, for example. Uh, but there are lots of ways that could go. And with the new salary matching rules, there's uh, different ways they can make trades. But that is now the imbalanced trade scenario at hand for the Pacers. That is now their situation. And they have 15 guys, right? So... And I think I just referenced last year, but that is one takeaway leading up to the trade deadline is if they're going to make a two-for-one trade, someone has to be waived. Now, it almost certainly would be James Johnson because they could just bring him back later or figure it out depending on what the trade is or whatever it is. But he's the cheapest guy, and every other cheap guy either is someone they drafted or plays for them. The only other guy you'd think about is Jordan Wara, who's on an expiring, unextendable $3 million contract. But I think you'd rather <laughs> the Pacers waive the cheaper guy and then bring him back again then do that. Uh, so they can still make two-for-one trades. Uh, they can still have basically all of their flexibility leading up to the trade deadline. And they have a very valuable locker room guy who they've signed to three contracts in 
15 months. So I think uh, the si- all the signs pointed to James Johnson sticking around. We'll see what they do uh, leading up to the deadline if their space actually matters uh, or if they'll need to make any moves or if they'll just end up doing salary matching in trades anyway. We'll see how that all shakes out to be. But James Johnson now locked in. Pacers, if they want to sign someone to a 10-day, uh, they would have to waive someone. If they want to sign someone to a two-way, they'd have to waive one of their two-way players. So all that stuff is essentially still the same. But now if they do any of that stuff, they'll be paying full price for the waived player for the remainder of the season. And James Johnson earned this, right? Every time you ask anybody about him, they gush about his wisdom, his toughness, what he means for the Pacers in their locker room. And the actions speak very loud that they have signed him in consecutive seasons to three different contracts. He's worth it to them. And he is now around or at least will be paid to be around for the rest of the season. And I'd imagine, again, if they're guaranteeing his contract, that he'll be sticking. So uh, that was the resolution I expected. That's the one we get. Pacers' salary situation leading up to the trade deadline, now fully known, unless they do something very unexpected with 10 days and waivers. We'll cover all that here on Lockdown Pacers. This week, tonight, well, tomorrow night, I should say, we'll be talking Pacers-Celtics. What happened in round two? Did the Pacers bounce back? Are the Celtics too good? Who knows? Their defense is phenomenal. Plenty of interesting games to cover this week. Amazingly, the Wizards are interesting because they actually beat the Pacers uh, the last time they played. Atlanta again. Denver, the former champs on the road. Bruce Brown's ring night coming up on Sunday. So lots of fun coming. Lots of stuff to cover here. Uh, I actually will be out of town this coming weekend for a bachelor party. But I will do my best to give you the best Pacers coverage every single day here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Thank you all a ton for listening. It is very much appreciated as we turn into a fun homestand and a new year. Back tomorrow, talking Pacers Celtics. Till then, everybody have a fantastic day.